The fiance visa is a path that the U.S. government has created for a U.S. citizen, this is only for U.S. citizens, to be able to provide a visa to someone that they are engaged to marry. Um, and the visa itself will allow the person to come to the U.S. and within 90 days of entry marry the U.S. citizen sponsor and then file for permanent residence and to have what we colloquially call a green card. Hi, and thanks for tuning in. My name is Klein, and I'm your podcast host and marketing professional. And today we have our special guest, Mr. Gary Davis, and he is an immigration lawyer with over 20 years of experience, board certified based in Dallas and Houston. And today we'll be talking about how you can live out your own 90-day fiancé dreams, or otherwise known as getting the fiancé visa. So let's get into it. So Gary, could you start off by telling us just a little bit about yourself? Sure. I, my name is Gary Davis. I'm an immigration lawyer, uh, board certified by the Texas Board of Legal Specialization in Immigration Law, and I've been practicing immigration for over 20 years. Sweet. Um, so we just wanted to start off by saying if you are not familiar with the TV show 90 Day Fiancé, um, basically it's a reality TV show that follows a handful of couples that all have K-1 visas or fiancé visas, which I didn't know that because I've never seen the show, and I was like, oh, well, that makes sense. So one of the conditions of the K-1 visa is that once the foreign partner enters the United States, they have 90 days to marry their U.S. citizen partner. Otherwise, the fiancé must leave the U.S. Um, immediately or risk deportation. So hence the name, 90 Day Fiancé. Now this show, like any reality TV show, is ob absolutely dramatized, but there's a lot of truth in it. So could you speak a little bit about that? Absolutely. I mean, one of the purposes for the fiancé visa is to help um, people that are engaged to be married come together and actually get married here in the U.S. And there's lots of reasons why someone would want to do that. For example, you know, frequently people will meet online and start a relationship, get to know each other, and then have an opportunity to meet each other face to face. And, and if things lead to things and they decide they want to be married, then there is a process that the U.S. government provides to, uh, for a U.S. citizen to be able to bring a fiance into the, into the country for the purpose of getting married. So the part that I guess is the most accurate in the story mm -hmm. is the fact that you have 90 days to get married once you arrive here. Right. And that's a really important um, rule. And part of the reason I think that, that the rule is what it is, is that, um, the U.S. government doesn't want to give a fiancé visa to a couple that's not committed. Makes sense. Right? And so that commitment is basically proven by getting married quickly after entry into the country. Hmm. That makes sense. So could you then tell us who would be eligible for a K-1 visa or fiancé visa? Sure. It's basically anyone that's a foreign national. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense to, to do a fiancé visa if the person's here in the U.S. So I would say that that a functional requirement would be that they would not only not be here, but possibly don't have any other kind of visa to come to the U.S. Mm. So it creates the opportunity for them to have a visa. And, and let me just take a step back and explain so that everybody understands. People kind of think of the term as visa as anything that relates to coming to or being in the U.S. Mm. But the truth is a visa is just a travel document. So once you come to inspection with a visa to the U.S. in your passport, that visa becomes kind of irrelevant at that point. It's just an entry document. Mm. So if they don't have another kind of visa or entry docu document to come to the U.S., the fiancé visa can create that opportunity for them to come. And so foreign national, 
uh, engaged to a U.S. citizen. I frequently am asked, you know, whether permanent residents can bring a fiancé. The answer is no. Mm. Only U.S. citizens have that opportunity. Uh, so U.S. citizen, fiancé, um, and outside the U.S., needing a visa. And uh, the, the last requirement that's really, really important is a face-to-face meeting within the last two years. Mm. And that's been really tricky, especially during COVID. Right. Uh, because with COVID, international travel restrictions and things like that, it's been really, really challenging to make fiancé visas work. But, but those are the, the basic requirements and, and who would benefit from that kind of opportunity. Gotcha. So in your experience, are all the couples that you come across like the ones in 90 Day Fiancé? Are they all long distance? Are they all having those like similar consequences or do you see other things? There's other situations also, although that's the most common I would say is that people have met online, but sometimes mm-hmm. they've been introduced by family members. Uh, sometimes they were the non-US citizen, the foreign national was here in the US, perhaps in school and they met in school. The foreign national went home to work or whatever, get on with life. And then they realized, hey, we really liked being together. Mm-hmm. But now they don't have a visa to get back together, and so they use the fiancé visa to to move forward with their relationship and that kind of thing. Other situations would be uh, the U.S. citizen may be an expatriate living outside the U.S. and working and met someone and fell in love Mm. uh, there where they're working or or maybe on vacation or extended vacation or whatever outside the country. Um, And so it's those kinds of situations where you would see people looking for a fiancé visa as a solution to be together. Oh, gotcha. So once they've established that they're eligible for a K-1 visa, then how would they apply? The process um, starts with a petition, and that's not uncommon in immigration. Uh, The agency that that processes that petition is called U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services, or USCIS, which is a – I'm going to nerd out a little bit here, sorry. (laughs) Make it a little dry, but but people may find the information useful to them. But basically, USCIS is part of the Department of Homeland Security. And, and USCIS is, is tasked with uh, managing the bureaucratic process of a petition where the U.S. citizen actually files a, uh, that application with USCIS asking for the fiancé visa opportunity for their fiancé. Uh, it's filed on a form I-129F, as in fiancé. Um, and so all you have to really prove there is that the person is a U.S. citizen that's filing the, the petition. Um, you have to prove that they've met face-to-face in the last two years. And, and we'll talk about how that can be somewhat challenging culturally or religiously for some folks. But, mm-hmm. but the basic requirement is face-to-face meeting within the last two years. And you got to be able to prove that. Both have to be eligible to marry. So if they've been married to someone else or, frankly, even claimed to be married to someone else, like in a common law marriage relationship or on a visa application, something like that, mm-hmm. they have to prove that they are unencumbered by those marriages through a divorce or oh, a death of that spouse. So they both have to be eligible to marry. And they also have to show that they intend to marry within 90 days of entry. And that could be a little bit tricky because how do you prove an intention, right? Mm -hmm. But basically, it's just a letter from each of them saying, look, we know each other, we love each other, we want to be together. So we're planning to get married as quickly as we can after after I or he or she enters the U.S. Um, So those are the basic requirements and the basic way to start the process. You also have to pay the government a fee. One thing that people may find interesting is, you know, in some countries, immigration is something that is managed through the tax system. In other words, the citizens are taxed and then budget goes to the agency to manage that bureaucratic process. In the U.S., it's not the case. A very small portion, something like 5% or less of USCIS's budget comes from tax money. Mm. So they have to charge fees for the work that they do, and they can be somewhat substantial. And we could talk about what the, what's involved here because it, it winds up being, you know, 
over $2,000, about $2,500 in the end to pay all the fees that you need to pay to get through the process. Uh, But the reason for that is because they don't have tax money to offset, you know, their expenses as an agency. It has to come through fees. Mm -hmm. So there's a fee that's required as well. Currently it's 535, but it could change at any time. Mm -hmm. And that goes as a check to USCIS with that I-129F petition. And that's basically it. I guess that's still less expensive than a normal wedding these days. <laughs> well, that's true. It's significantly less expensive yeah. than a wedding. But you also have to consider it as part of the budget, right? So true. And, yeah. and for some people, it could be somewhat substantial to come up with that much money over the course of the oh, process. Absolutely. But yeah, But yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot. Definitely. Mm-hmm. So if a couple is engaged and they do want to get married right away, as soon as possible, how long would it take for them to obtain a fiancé visa? That's a very difficult question to answer, although mm-hmm. a good one and one that we get in every consultation that we have on mm-hmm. these. Uh, but it's hard to know because there's more steps to the process than just the petition part. So the petition part generally is about six to eight months, something like that, as long as there's no issues in the U.S. Citizens Pass that would you know, like a criminal record or something like that that USCIS has to investigate. Because gotcha. they don't want people to come into the U.S. on a fiancé visa into a dangerous situation. Mm-hmm. So if there's criminal history and stuff like that, or if there's previous applications that were filed for other fiancés, they don't want people running a business mm-hmm. of being a fiancé, right. you know, kind of, you know, making money, doing that kind of thing. So there's certain things that will trigger a longer time span as they're trying to sort all that background, you know, stuff out. But when it comes to the typical kind of vanilla process, uh, you're looking at uh, probably about six to eight months just for the petition. Once the petition's approved, then it's forwarded through an office of the Department of State. So we're moving from Homeland Security, which handles things here, to the Department of State, which handles all of the embassies and consulates and things like that throughout the world, visa processing, travel document processing, right? Um, and so it goes to the National Visa Center, and then it's forwarded to the U.S. consulate that's going to be responsible for handling those K-1 fiancé visa applications for that fiancé's country of nationality. Mm. And most um, most countries only have one U.S. consulate that handles all of the green card and fiancé visa processing. So they have to sometimes travel to that one location to be able to, uh, to process the visa. Right. And you're subject to that one consulate's schedule which there's no way to know in advance what their schedule is when they have an opening to actually accept the processing of the application and give you an interview because part of the visa application process involves an interview. Mm -hmm. So it can be somewhat challenging for for even uh, even us that do a high volume of these kinds of cases to give you an idea about when the consulate will have an opening to schedule you for the interview. Mm -hmm. And so with COVID and everything and the consulates basically being shut down, we're just now having several of our clients that hired us back at the early days of COVID get their fiancé visas because they just haven't had appointment times open. They right. were either closed in response to the pandemic or they, um, they are just now have this huge pile of work that they have to work through this backlog before they can get to a, a new case, right? Oh, geez. And so it's a little bit challenging to, to sort that out um, as far as the time frame, but they have... They have notified us how reliable is the information. Your guess is as good as mine. But they've told us that they are increasing capacity for visa applications 30% uh, higher than pre-pandemic capacity Mm -hmm. in an effort to try to bring the processing time back to some sense of normal Mm -hmm. as we kind of move out of the pandemic and uh, government response to that. 
and back in back pre-COVID, we were just at about like nine, 12 months to be able to get through the process. Wow. So we're hoping to get back to that, mm-hmm. uh, hopefully in not too much time. Wow. Okay. So, geez, that's got to be frustrating. For it's incredibly people. frustrating for, for those that we're trying to help with this process because they want to be together. And frankly, a lot of them have friends that have done it. Mm-hmm. And so they're, they're hearing from them. Right. Well, it only took me 12 months to get my fiance here. What's going on? Mm-hmm. Somehow people forget that COVID is having an impact on, on the world. Right. Right. So true. And so we, we spend a lot of time, you know, as a firm, we file thousands of cases a year. And so what happened to us in COVID is that the volume of pending cases increased dramatically, just like it has for the government. Mm-hmm. USCIS currently reports having over 8 million pending applications mm-hmm. right now. Imagine that. I know. And so everything's kind of busted uh, on the government side of things. And of course, we have this volume of, you know, cases that are pending, and everybody wants answers, right? Right. And so it can be somewhat challenging for us as well to be able to accommodate those, you know, you you guys told me a year and a half ago it would take a year and a half, and here it is, and well, we didn't really know that COVID was going to have this kind of impact, right? Right. So it's really it's really tough to answer that question. It's a very good one. But what I tell mm-hmm. people currently is, just understand that it's going to take some time. And as we go through the different phases of the process, starting with the petition that we talked about before, moving through the visa application and the interview schedule, as we go through the process, we'll have a better sense of where that individual consulate is at scheduling and stuff like that. And so it's one of those things where we're going to have to get take a step at a time. I know that you know we talk about that a lot in, in life and in the world, that you got to kind of take a deep breath and yeah. take a step at a time. But you got to get through it step at a time in this process and and once the person has the visa they can come and that's all great but then there's more processing on the back end of it that you have to deal with as well so for couples planning weddings i know you you said you know typically nine to twelve months pre-covid which at this point sounds like a dream come true to some people it would be so um would you recommend going ahead and planning things like the venue and and you know vendors like that before getting the visa, or would you recommend people to wait? I definitely don't recommend it. (laughs) And the reason I don't recommend it is there are so many variables that we can't control, Mm -hmm. either as attorneys or if people try to do it on their own. There's so much that's out of their control that if they they make deposits and commitments and and plans and arrangements and things don't work out timing-wise, because it's very unpredictable right now, then they're gonna be very frustrated, okay? Mm and maybe lose some deposit and earnest money and things like that. What I tell people is to plan on doing what I colloquially refer to as a paper wedding, right? A mm-hmm. paper marriage, where they basically just come and within the 90 days, they do the, the deed, mm-hmm. right? They go to the county and get the license. They go to their priest, minister, imam, justice of the peace, whatever authority they want to go to, um, to get actually married on paper so that they meet the requirement for the 90 days and then plan their big wedding for whenever they want to do it mm. after that. It's not ideal mm-hmm. because, of course, people would prefer sometimes, not everyone, but sometimes people would prefer to do it all as one thing. Mm. But the chances of, of them being able to sort all that out on the visa process side of things and still make it all happen the way they want it within the 90 days, mm. it's just so remote, Yeah. right? It's just, it's just so challenging. And so I, I tell people, look, if you're going to do it this way, there's other ways to do it, which we could talk about. But if you're going to do it this particular way, my recommendation is just plan on separating the actual marriage itself, the legal part, 
with the party part. Right. 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 And just do it in two separate phases. And frankly, I don't really care. And the law doesn't really care what day you deem to be your kind of wedding for anniversary celebration purposes and yeah. stuff like that. You can figure that out however you want to. <laughs> right. But as far as the law is concerned, we got to have that piece of paper within that 90 days or the strategy doesn't work. Mm. Um, so so anyway, that's that's my take on that. I don't recommend it. Uh, if they're really committed to it, just make sure that there's some flexibility with the venue or with right. the costs and that kind of thing so that they can have the celebration that they want with their friends and family and each other. Uh, but then don't wind up getting kind of, you know, hogtied by the timing issues, which are so out of our control. Right. So then that brings up this next question. What happens if you don't get married within the 90 days? So there's two scenarios in which that may happen. One is that some, well, three really. One is that someone comes here and, uh, and they just decide, you know what, this isn't for me. Mm. And so maybe the answer to that situation is to just plan to go back because you didn't want to be here anyway. There's something about being here that just wasn't what they thought it would be or being with that person that wasn't what they thought it would be. And right. so they always have gotcha. the option to just leave without consequence. Mm. The next one would be a situation in which they get here, and this is the most tragic and breaks my heart um, mm. to hear it and to have to even share it, but it is what it is. It happens uh, that they come here, the person thinks that they have a lot of control now, that they are subject to their sponsorship to legalize their status here in the U.S., and so they become very abusive. Mm. In that scenario, um, there is an alternate path uh, probably a U visa. If they've gotten married, there is something called Violence Against Women Act or VAWA that allows them to self-sponsor for the green card and get out of that terrible situation. But if they haven't married yet, they would need to file report that abuse to the police and then uh, have the police sponsor them for what's called a U visa for the victim of crime. Mm-hmm. So there's a couple paths there and, and they may not have gotten married within 90 days because you know they got abused when right. they got to the U.S. And then the last one is a situation in which they just need more time to figure things out. Mm. And I frequently have people come in and say, you know, we thought this is what we wanted to do, but now we realize that since we're, we're living together for the first time, there are some things we got to work out first. What are our options? And the answer is, it's no problem to wait after the 90 days to get married. It's just that that petition that was filed at the beginning, the 129F, no longer supports the green card effort. Mm. So if they get married after the 90-day period, then they have to file a different petition sponsoring all over again, which adds to your costs. Right. doesn't really add to the time, though, which is nice, but it adds to the cost because you have a separate petition to file. But let's say it takes them six months or 12 months before they decide, we okay, now we really want to do this, and they're outside the 90 days. They don't benefit from the 129F petition, but they can still file an I-130 petition, which is the spouse petition, and get the green card that way because in that scenario, all we have to prove is legal entry, and the K-1 visa is absolutely a legal entry. Now, if they decide not to get married and stay and then get married to someone else, there is a bar in the law that prevents that person, that fiancé, from being able to get a green card from here through that new marriage that was not tied to the fiancé visa. Oh, interesting. And they would have to actually leave the country and go to the U.S. consulate back home to actually become a permanent resident here. Hmm. That's something that the law mandates because they don't want people to use the, abuse the fiancé visa system to come in and then, you know, marry someone else. Mm -hmm. Um, And so anyway, that's the other scenario that you would have. And and the consequence there is that the person has to leave the country to to finish the cycle and actually become a permanent resident. Right. So for these long-distance couples, if they happen to be, you know, out and they can't see each other for a long time, I'm sure that's, you know, heartbreaking. I mean, I've done long-distance before, and it's awful. 
Um, so are these foreign couples, are they allowed to get a visitor's visa and come and visit their spouse over in the U.S. while they wait for the K-1 visa, or is that not allowed? So one of the questions, it's a, it's a tough question to answer, but I'll do my best. Mm. The, the law doesn't prevent someone who is engaged to a U.S. citizen from applying for and receiving a visitor visa, for example. However, one of the questions on the application form, which is a DS-160, DS stands for Department of State, because mm-hmm. as I said, they're the ones that take care of visa applications. Mm-hmm. Nerding out again. Sorry. I was just about to say, here he is. <laughs> sorry. Okay. So the DS-160 form specifically asks for a disclosure about whether or not a person is engaged uh, and who that person is and what their U.S. immigration status is and all that stuff. And that disclosure will probably lead to a refusal of a visitor visa, not, oh, not necessarily, mm-hmm. but it probably would, um, simply because the person would have the opportunity through marriage, if they're already engaged, to just stay in the U.S. So there is a way for someone to come on a different kind of visa. As I mentioned earlier, one of the things that I look at is does the person already have a different kind of visa because there are some challenges with getting the fiancé visa like we talked about at the time and the unpredictability of the interview and all that stuff. Right. So if they already have a, like a visitor visa, for example, a lot of times I just encourage them, don't bother with the fiancé visa, just come. Only come with enough luggage for a couple of weeks, round trip ticket, right? You need to have at least somewhere in your brain that this, we're trying to figure this out still. Don't know for sure this is where this is heading. You know, that's what I tell people is kind of have it, it's a mindset thing really. Come into the country on the visit visa with the intention to depart, but then change your mind. And as long as you give the government some space between the entry and the marriage and filing for the green card, then they don't really get too bothered by using a, another kind of visa to come in that eventually leads to permanent resident status here. So really, someone trying to get a visit visa while they're in the process of you know, being engaged and possibly looking for a fiancé visa, uh, it, it probably doesn't work out, but there's nothing in the law that prevents them from being able to try it. And some people do, and sometimes they get it, and most times they don't. But there's no consequence from that other than the fee, which in this case is $160, so it's not you know life-changing money mm. uh, to have to pay that fee. If they want to try it, they can. And then if they wind up getting the visit visa to come for a visit, but they're able to stay, they may choose to do that and just get the green card from here and just abandon the, the fiancé visa process. Oh, gotcha. Hmm. So um, I know probably for many immigrants, the most stressful part of the immigration process is the interview, which would make sense even if it is a legit yeah. relationship. Sure. Um, interviews are always stressful. So what can people expect from that? Well, so there's going to be two interviews in the process. The first one is going to be for the visa itself. And mainly the consular officer is going to want to get comfortable with whether or not the person actually knows the person they're engaged to, right, the mm-hmm. visa applicant. So they're going to ask a lot of questions about what does is, what is your fiancé do and how old is your fiancé and do they have any kids and right. where they live and that kind of thing where are you going to be living with that person and when do you guys plan to get married? They're going to ask those kinds of questions just to get comfortable with whether or not they understand what's going on because they don't want them to be taken advantage of or victims of anything as well. And so the more information that they have about their fiancé, the more comfortable the consular officer is going to be in granting the visa. They also look at background. Uh, So they they look at prior immigration history to the U.S., uh, status violations in the U.S. in the past, deportations, uh, criminal record, uh, visa applications that were presented previously, they're going to compare those to the one that's filed now to see if there's any discrepancies 
see if there was any fraud committed in, in visa applications in the past. So there is a background component to it as well, and they'll ask a few questions about the person's background just to confirm uh, their identity and to confirm that they don't have something, some criminal issue or something in their closet, some skeleton in their closet that, that would bar them from getting the visa. Mm -hmm. So that's basically the, the visa interview part. Mm -hmm. So Gary, is there anything you want to let us know? Any last minute facts? Absolutely. So there's two things that I'll share. The first one is uh, just what it takes to finish the cycle. So someone's arrived here, they got married within 90 days, and now it's time to actually do the green card application itself. And so they file an application back with USCIS like we started with, with the I-129F. It's now an I-485 application. And that I-485 uh, comes with work and travel permission as part of the application process at no additional charge. Um, and it also has a financial sponsorship component that the U.S. citizen fiancé, now spouse, has to meet. Or they'll have to find some U.S. citizen or permanent resident co-sponsor to help meet that financial requirement. And currently in, in Dallas and Houston, it's about 12, 15 months after submitting that application to get the, the actual green card itself. Gotcha. Let's say you finish the cycle. So 129F, do the visa application at the consulate, marry within 90 days and then do the green card application on the back end. And that's the typical fiance visa path. But the other thing I wanted to share is, anytime I have a consultation with someone who asks about the fiance visa, I also share with them the advantages uh, to doing it through a marriage relationship. So one of the things that we, we have to have to be able to do the 129F is that meeting face-to-face -face within the last two years. There are some exceptions to that. It can be somewhat challenging to meet those exceptions, but if there's you know, the, the, some sort of hardship that makes it impossible to travel, uh, if there's a cultural or religious norm that prevents a face-to-face -face meeting, we wanna be respectful of that in the law, and so they provide an opportunity to ask for an exception to that face-to-face -face meeting. But, but in most cases, mm. you're gonna have to meet face-to-face. -face. Even COVID wasn't really an excuse to not meet face-to-face. -face. Mm. Government just didn't wanna go down that road. Mm. And so, um, so you got to meet face to face. So if it's been more than two years since that last face to face meeting, or they've never met face to face, there are significant advantages to, since you have to meet face to face anyway, to just getting married right. and then coming into the U.S. as a spouse. So let's talk about those just real briefly. Mm -hmm. uh, the first one is um, the person comes with work and travel permission from the moment they land here. Whereas if they come as a fiance, they've got potentially six to nine months before they have work and travel authorization after getting married. Okay, so there's this huge gap in the ability to work. And as adults, that may be a little bit frustrating. What do you do all day if you don't have authorization to work for maybe a year? But if you do it as a spouse, then you come with everything. There's no 485 to file at the end. There's nothing to wait for. They have work and travel permission from day one. The other thing is that the exact same unit that does the fiance visa interview that we talked about does the visa interview for the green cards mm. the exact same consulate does the interview for the green cards so there's not a ton of time savings between the two options one of the reasons that people prefer the fiance visa approach even though it's more expensive and even though it takes longer in total to process the case to get to the actual green card is because of the speed in getting the fiance here and while that was true pre-COVID, now that we've gone through COVID and we have this gigantic backlog, and it's the same unit doing both applications, the green card applications and the visa, the K-1 visa applications, there's not, we're not really seeing much time savings between the two. Mm -mm. So because there's no time advantage, 
It's cheaper to do it as a spouse, and it's faster to get to the green card, and when they land here, they have everything they need. So, yeah, fiancé visa is still out there. It's a thing. But the advantages that we once had from that approach just aren't there right now with COVID. Maybe they come back. Mm -hmm. And so generally what I advise people is you only want to do the fiancé visa approach if you are really committed to being married in the U.S. You need some time together in the U.S. to make sure this is what you want to do. Or the, the person has no other visa option to come here. If they have another visa option, probably better to do it through marriage and do it here through the marriage. Uh, or there's, they've met face-to-face within the last two years, but currently they can't. So they can't get married because of COVID travel restrictions or some disability that makes it difficult to travel or just they don't really want to travel and go do that because of some risk in the home country or whatever. And so part of my responsibility and our attorney's responsibility as we're doing a consultation for the K-1 fiancé visa is to help our potential client assess those two approaches to see which one is more advantageous to them or fits better with their goals and and what they're hoping to accomplish. Uh, Sometimes they still choose the fiancé visa approach, which we absolutely support. We do those all the time. Uh, Sometimes they're like, oh, okay, well, maybe I need to think more about doing the marriage approach. One last comment um, that's a little bit more nerding out, but it's actually something that's really critical for people to know Mm -hmm. as you're making this decision. Not a lot of attorneys will do it this way. We do, and I'll explain why. Uh, There is an option to take advantage of the... So when you look at an I-129F petition, which does the fiancé visa, and you look at an I-130 petition, which does it through the marriage, the the I-130 petition is reported to take much longer than the I-129F petition, okay? And that's one reason why people want to do the fiancé because they think it makes it go faster. Mm -hmm. Well, back in 2000, um, there was an issue with people coming on fiancé visas within 9 to 12 months like it used to be before COVID. And at that time, for a spouse to come took about 30 months, about two and a half years, significant difference in time. Well, people were not real happy about that. And Congress thought, yeah, that makes sense that people would be unhappy about that. Why would it be faster for a fiancé to come than for a spouse to come? That's dumb. And so what they did is they created a subcategory of the fiancé visa. It's a K-3 instead of a K-1, which is for spouses of citizens. But this is speculation on my part, but I think because Congress was frustrated that they had to deal with the issue at all, they sort of punished immigration by saying you can't charge a fee to do the 129F for a spouse. You can for a fiancé, but not for a spouse. And the idea behind it was to let the spouse get here in the same time frame as a fiancé would be able to. So they created the K-3 visa. Well, immigration looked at that and said, yeah, we don't get a fee for that. Back to what I said earlier, there is no tax money coming in for their budget. They get it all through fees. So they have to absorb the cost of processing these K-3s. So they don't like them. So what they do is they pull, you have to file an I-130 petition to be able to file for a K-3 as a spouse. And so they pull the I-130 petition forward to when they would process the the 129F and approve the I-130. But then they deny the 129F because it's moot because now we have an approved I-130 petition. The reason that other attorneys, that at least I don't know anyone else that does it this way, the reason they don't is because they don't like to have to explain to their client 
why they have a denied petition. It's, a, it's, it's technical, it's complicated, it's hard to explain. And so they're just like, you know what, we're just going to do it through the I-130. And it'll, if it takes two and a half years, whatever, we don't really care because mm-hmm. we don't want to have that discussion. We don't do it that way. We talk to our potential clients at the beginning, say, look, if time is the issue, get married, let's file an I-130, and we'll do the fiancé visa okay. petition. And that will make it so that the, the time savings that you get on that 129F versus the I-130 becomes a non-issue. Mm-hmm. We actually get it done in the same time. And then it's just a matter of going through the visa application process, getting the interview at the consulate, then they come with the green card, okay? So that's something to consider as well, is if, if you're out there and you're not going to be using Davidson Associates, you're going to do it on your own or have another lawyer you like and want to work with, that's fine. But I would press them, if you're doing it through the I-130 route, to take advantage of those benefits. Make sure there's a 129F in there as well. Understand it's going to be denied. But at the end of the day, what you really care about is the result and the speed. And you will get that by doing it with that strategy. And then the last thing to mention uh, as we wrap up here is that kids count as well. And so if there are kids under age 21 that, that want to come with their parent that's now engaged to an American citizen, that's a K-2 visa, and they can come and, and get green cards as well. Oh, good. Yeah, up to, up to age 21. So. Wow, thank you so much for coming and sharing all this great information with us. Happy I know to do I it. learned a lot. Um, Good. And I'm sure that this is going to be so useful for U.S. citizens, immigrants, and honestly, anyone who wants to know more. I hope so. I guess that's a wrap. Awesome. Yay! Thanks.